0: So kids leave for children's church i want to welcome you to grace uh evangelical presbyterian church you'll find the uh, friendship registers as always on the side aisles you have to take them fill them out pass them along when they get to the end you can pass them back see who it is that you're worshiping with this morning um i trust that if you're new to us you will go to our information kiosk that's out in the lobby or narthex area and you can uh, greet some folks there that are uh, there to help you and answer any questions that you may have about our church to help you integrate at least this morning and uh, other times as well when you may come. So welcome, welcome to you. Um, you'll notice a number of uh, of announcements in our little inserts, uh, so please read through that at your leisure so you won't miss that which is coming up, which might be helpful to you. Uh, notice uh, our Youth of Grace have a couple of things coming up uh, soon on April 4th. Uh, um, is our pancake breakfast for the kids who are raising money for their trip to Romania that's always a great time Uh, it's from 8 to 10.30 Uh, suggested cost is $500 a person Uh, oh that's a 5 I'm sorry whatever you can give $5, $8 a family it's a great time for all of us together dinner theater is happening too that'll be Saturday the 18th uh, from our uh, youth department so you can see the announcements uh, the announcements there coming soon as well our holy week services we just have a Monday thursday service which is the thursday that's before um, easter and uh, that's the night of course that jesus gave the mandate which is where the little word maundy comes from the mandate to uh, love one another as he has loved us and so we'll come together on that evening it's quite i think a moving time for us And an important time, notice services on Easter. Sunday, same times, no Sunday school on that particular day, just to um, help with the ease of traffic and enable you to have some time with your families. Um, You can read through those others as well. But let me ask you now as we come to the scripture, that please bow with me to pray. Father, now as we come to your word, I pray that you enable us to listen to hear. Take away any distractions that may uh, be troubling to us, that may be at the forefront of our minds, that may keep us from hearing well. God, enable us to, to listen, to honor you by honoring your word. I pray that it is like meat and drink to us, that it satisfies our thirst, it nourishes our souls. Um, please work in such a way to draw us to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Colossians and chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, please. I want to read verses 24 uh, through 29. I'll only get to a little bit of that, but I want you to see the whole context from this. Colossians and chapter 1, verse 24. Please hear the word of God. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church of which I became a a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for all ages and generations, but now revealed to you his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Reproclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want to take up this morning, if God will help me, just this verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. Now, I'm taking this up for a couple of reasons. Number one, because it's next. We just finished verse 23. So we're taking it up because it's next. But taking it up also because it's both intriguing and could be confusing. Um, Christ's afflictions lacking in some way. And how is it that Paul is able to fill them up? Um, That comes as such a surprise to us. To think that Paul would ever use the word Jesus or Christ and lacking in the same sentence, the same expression. And so how are Christ's afflictions in some sense lacking and how then does Paul fill them up by way of his own uh, suffering? Uh, Now, Paul's suffering was real and it was well known and it was a, a source of difficulty at times for those Uh, Who knew him and those who had heard of him. For instance, in the church in Corinth, Paul had to write very often, and we'll look at some of these passages, uh, very often about his suffering. Because they thought that his suffering meant that he really wasn't an apostle. They thought if he was really an apostle, then he would be like all these ones coming through who were slick and all of that and and, and seemed to be prospering, whereas Paul was not. And so they looked disparagingly upon Paul because of his suffering. So Paul had to state his case to them that his suffering was actually a sign of his apostleship. And these others that he called super apostles uh, in jest and sarcastically, uh, were not really the real deal. They were not willing to suffer for the sake of Christ as he when he wrote to the church in Thessalonica he was worried that his suffering would be a discouragement to them because they so cared for him that he was concerned that they seeing him suffer would become so discouraged and, and depressed that they would fall away if you will from following after Jesus and so he had to write to them and said, don't be discouraged by this we were destined for this this is all in God's plan so, so be of good cheer that I'm suffering uh, don't worry about that when he wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy he said, don't be ashamed of my bonds don't be ashamed of my, my suffering don't be ashamed to be associated with me even though I'm considered by some a criminal even though I'm in prison don't be ashamed of this and so his suffering was for some uh, a, a difficulty But as I said, it was was real. Uh, And it came because of his ministry. If we look just in this passage which I read and read it from the bottom up, we find first in verse 29 that Paul is toiling and struggling in the midst of this ministry to which he's been called. It's not an easy thing. So he's toiling and struggling. Now God is giving him strength. We'll come to this sometime when we get a few sentences down but this great expression that Paul is struggling with all his energy not his own but all God's energy that should inform our lives and in his struggle uh, he has a purpose and his, his purpose is to to uh, proclaim Christ, warning everyone, teaching with everyone, everyone with all wisdom, uh, because his purpose is to present everyone mature in Christ. So Paul's toiling for a particular purpose, that particular purpose is to present everyone mature in Christ. Think about that in the context of our own lives, and our own toil and work for parents. What What are we toiling for in the lives of our kids, isn't it? To present them mature in Christ, isn't that the real overriding goal? It isn't necessarily to make them A students. It isn't necessarily to get them a part in the in the play. It isn't to they'd be best athletes and all of that. What we really want for them is that what we're really toiling for that we really depend upon God's energy for is that they become mature in Christ. Now, the means by which Paul is 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 performing this ministry toiling if you will is to proclaim he's proclaiming christ he warns when warning is necessary he teaches uh everyone with all wisdom about christ so that's his mission the way he goes about it and 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 the message of all of this is this revealing of this mystery the mystery uh that is now revealed that, that this is for gentiles too that their hope the hope of all people is being united with Christ. He says the, 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 the mystery that he's proclaiming, Christ in you, he says, the hope of glory and he's a minister he's been given a stewardship that he's been entrusted by God with this message in this ministry to make the word of God fully known and it's in this context of making the word of God fully known as a steward of the mystery of this gospel of going around from place to place telling people their hope is in Christ their hope is in being united with Christ proclaiming Christ and warning and teaching so that all would become mature in Christ even as he toils in that way his suffering is the result of that, and we know his suffering. It's not only the normal suffering that comes from the day-to-dayness of that and the struggle of that, especially in these days and those days of all the travel and all of that, and the weariness and the worry. But it but it comes too because of of persecution. The persecution that that uh, he um, encounters because of the work to which he's been called. Us. No surprise, of course. Jesus had told his disciples that uh, since. People had hated him. They would hate his disciples as well. So to, to get ready for this, he said. Now, Paul wasn't a part of that evening when Jesus made that statement. But when Paul was saved and when Paul was called into this ministry, here's what was said about him. In Acts chapter 9, you remember that, that Paul had gotten knocked off his horse. He was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, encountered Jesus... And in his encountering of Jesus, he, was, he, he became blind. And so uh, Jesus called this man, Ananias, to go and to take care of Paul. And here's part of that discussion uh, that he has with Ananias. He says, rise, verse 11, rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, you, Uh, come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, Uh, and and, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, Ananias is saying, you know, Lord, I'd rather not... Uh, I've heard he imprisons people like me. He has people like me killed. Uh, He has authority to do that, so I'd rather not go. But as the Lord normally does, he ignored that. Verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. That is, to take the mystery of of this salvation that everyone once thought was just for Jews alone, but now to realize, oh, it's for all people. For he's is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, that is everybody. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so it was no surprise to Paul that he would be called throughout his ministry to suffer. Not just the normal sufferings of life, if you will, in the midst of work and ministry. But to be persecuted for the name of for the sake of Christ. And as we read through Luke's account in the book of Acts of the early church, we find this suffering happening in Paul's life very early on, even in Damascus, even after he regained his sight and all of that, uh, in Damascus, after Paul had been sharing, uh, even then, he had to be lowered in a basket through a hole in the wall to escape the threats that were coming there. When he went to Jerusalem, next he, 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 he preached as well, and the... Greek-speaking Jews came after him so much so that Paul had to escape and he eventually went back to his hometown in Tarsus uh, in that place. As Paul began his missionary journeys, he found himself often coming under persecution and the threats of persecution uh, in Lystra after he had left the city in Antioch because of threats against him. In Lystra people from Antioch and Lyconium came and they stoned him and they drug him out of the city and they left him for, for dead. Uh, when he was in Philippi he was dragged into the marketplace by merchants because he had exercised a demon from a girl who was prophesying in such a way as to help their business and so, so that made everyone upset so he was dragged into the marketplace thrown into prison. Uh, in Philippi we realized that that, uh, that he was thrown in prison as well because of his, his, his preaching and how it affected merchants in that particular place. In Ephesus he caused a riot. People rioted around him. In uh, every place he went he found that this persecution came against him. In fact, he summarized his work and his life uh, like this in Acts chapter 20 as he's speaking to a group of elders who were from Ephesus who came to meet him. He says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In fact, not long after that, a prophet by the name of Agabus came and... and took a belt and put it around himself, uh, Paul's belt, took it around himself and says, the one who owns this is the one who will be bound. And Paul indeed was. And we went to Jerusalem and he was arrested and he was then, from chapter 21 in the book of Acts to the end, makes his way to Rome where he is under house arrest, perhaps even writing as he writes these particular letters from prison, Paul does. And we see how Paul describes his Suffering. For instance, in 1 Corinthians and chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul shares of his life like this. And remember, this is to the church in Corinth, these people that thought he really wasn't an apostle, but because, because he was suffering. He writes, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. And then he says, Rather sarcastically, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We're, you are held in honor, but we in disrepute, disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poor. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted. We endure when slandered, we entreat. We become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuge, refuse of all things. So Paul understood himself in the midst of this ministry to which he's been called. That's what I put as a heading to that passage, the glamour of ministry. Right? That's what it's really like. It isn't, I say this reverently, it isn't like we see on TV isn't what it's really like Paul knows that he exhibited that for us in 2nd Corinthians in chapter 1 Paul continues to speak of his life verse 5 he puts it like this he says for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings so you can see even there there's an identification with the sufferings of Christ in his own life when Paul is suffering he, he refers to that suffering as Christ's sufferings hang on to that so that through christ we share abundantly in comfort too if we're afflicted it's for your comfort and salvation if we're comforted it's for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer so paul is saying come on everyone you know this you get this this is common in some sense to all of us he's an apostle he's out there he's got a target on his back perhaps bigger than everybody else but still he says you know this if you're really following after christ you have a sense about this especially in those days he describes it like this in verse 8 he says we don't want you to become to be ignorant brothers of the affliction we experienced in asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul says, we pretty much had acknowledged that we were going to die at that point. But that was to make make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And so Paul says, you know, this life is one that brings us and has brought us to the point of believing that we will die. In First Corinthians in chapter 6, in verse 3, Paul puts it like this. He says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no faults may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, Hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit. Genuine love, by truthful speech, by the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness. Through honor and dishonor, slander and praise. We're treated as impostors, And yet are true. You know the pain of that? The pain of having been treated as an imposter. But you know that which you are saying is true. Now... Of course, every parent knows that. (laughs) From our children, they look at us like we're crazy, even though we know we're right. But ministers of the gospel know that. You may know that as well as you've shared your faith with others who've looked down upon you because of that, who've not believed, who've ostracized you, perhaps someone in the family, someone in an office, someone in a neighborhood, somebody that that, that you know that you're right about these things of Christ and they look at you as if you're an imposter. And here's the apostle. We know the, the pain of that. As unknown and yet well known, as dying, behold, we live as punished, yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Perhaps the most complete statement of all of this is in Second Corinthians in chapter 11. Verse 23, Paul contrasting himself with these super apostles that are getting all the press and all of that. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. You know, they gave 39 lashes because they believed 40 lashes would kill a man. So they only gave, mercifully, 39. He received that four times in his life, he says to that point. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from river rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles. By the way, when he says his own people and Gentiles, he means everybody. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is, my daily, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? Lists like that are almost unreal, aren't they? There's so much there. There's so many things piled upon the other. It's hard to even believe that. And we know from the accounts of Acts, we know from the accounts of history, we know from Paul's own truthfulness that all that is true uh, about him. So he would write of himself at the end of Galatians, this chapter 6, verse 17. He says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. In other words, he's saying, listen, you see it in me that I'm a follower of Christ. I'm willing to sacrifice everything for him. Don't give me any trouble. Look, trust the word that I say. But he describes himself as one who on his body bears the marks of Jesus. Interesting expression. See the identification so close of Paul, with Jesus himself, his sufferings are the sufferings of Jesus. These marks that he bears are the marks of Christ upon himself that kind of identity now with that in our heads what is it then that he means by this expression now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake rejoicing in sufferings is he crazy man and the answer is no he's not crazy because he realizes that his sufferings are producing something of great value there is rejoicing in suffering when we know that what we're sacrificing is of such great purpose that what will come is far greater than anything that would be sacrificed. There's a sense in which a good soldier rejoices even in the midst of the trouble. Why? Because he's convinced, he believes that the sacrifice that he's making is worth it. And he's saving lives and saving a country and saving a way of life perhaps. That that brings joy. It's still painful and all of that. He's not crazy but he gets it and so there's a sense of satisfaction a sense of joy in the midst of all of that a parent knows that that sense of joy even though there might be struggle with the child a parent knows that but did you realize that what's happening here in the midst of this relationship in the midst of raising this child is such that it's really worth it in the midst of that Paul knows that he knows that his suffering is such that it's producing something of far greater value than even that he's giving up, even with that long list of horrible things happening. When he's, when he's hungry, when he's in the cold, when he's out at sea for, day, for a day and a night in the water, needing rescue, when he's in prison, when he's receiving the lashes, what's he thinking? He's thinking, I know what this is producing. That's so why the authors of Scripture can say there's rejoicing in our suffering. James can say, Count it all joy when we experience various trials. Why? because we know it's producing something, that God is at work producing something in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that and it's going to bring maturity it's going to conform us to the image of Christ, which should be the goal, the delight of our lives, this making every person, even ourselves, mature in Christ, that's why Paul could write in Romans 5 that we, we, can, we can rejoice in our sufferings, why? Because, our, because that brings hope to us ultimately, why? because it works in us the very character of Christ and that reveals to us, yes we do belong to him and that brings assurance and hope in the midst of that and even though it's difficult and even though it's trying and even though it's painful still it's producing something of great value thus we can still rejoice in suffering Paul knows that even as he suffers to take the gospel to people that it will bring the gospel to people and they'll hear and believe and that's of more value than even his own life notice Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1 Paul puts it like this, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So Paul's saying, I'm in prison for your sake. I'm in prison because of you. I'm in prison because I'm bringing the gospel to you You got me in trouble, so I'm in prison. So that's what he's saying to them there. And then he, he, he ends that little section, verse 13, by saying, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, that is, don't become discouraged, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffer, suffering for you, which is your glory. He says, this is your glory to know this gospel. This is, I'm bringing the very glory of God to you. So that's the benefit. Don't be discouraged. He writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy in chapter 2, uh, verse 8, this. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David is preached in my gospel for which I'm suffering bound with chains as a criminal but the word of God is not bound therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that is all those for whom Christ died all those who will genuinely believe all those that belong to him I'll endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory Paul's saying you have to understand I realize then my suffering will bring to them salvation. Oh, not directly not by believing in Paul's sufferings, but because he's suffering for the sake of the gospel, he's suffering if he brings them the gospel, and that will be salvation to them. So, he's saying, don't worry, don't be distressed. But Paul's saying something else here in Colossians chapter 1. It's a bit baffling, really, when we first take a glance at it. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. How can anything be lacking in Christ's afflictions? Paul has just gone through saying how sufficient Christ is for everything. So what is lacking by way of his afflictions? Well, it's easier really to get at what this doesn't mean than perhaps exactly what it does mean. What it doesn't mean for sure, we know, is it doesn't mean that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is in any sense lacking. We know that because that's the argument of the whole of Scripture, the whole of the New Testament, most especially Paul. He's made that case here. Verse 13, he has delivered us, chapter 1, delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There it is, right there. He'll come later on in chapter 2, and we'll get to sometime in verse 13. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Thus he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It's all done, he said. Needless to say, Jesus on the cross acknowledged that. He said, it is finished. It was done at that point. Paul uses the word in Romans chapter 3 propitiation concerning the sacrifice of Christ and propitiation means to completely wholly satisfy or exhaust if you will the wrath of God. It's all done by Jesus all done in and through him. The author of Hebrews states it categorically as well in chapter 9 and verse 12 he that is Jesus Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. When Jesus did that, he, he secured it, this eternal redemption. And then he puts it like this later in that same chapter, verse 26. But as it is, Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as is it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It's it's done, it's finished, this work of Christ. In fact, this little word, affliction, that Paul uses, the afflictions of Christ, actually is never used of Jesus' atoning sacrifice. When he speaks of propitiation or Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to settle our debt, the word that Paul uses is either death, blood, or cross. He doesn't use this particular word, affliction. He'll use a different word, not that one. So it appears as if he's even thinking about something other than Jesus' suffering on the cross. So we know... Christ's suffering isn't lacking on the cross, lacking to provide us salvation. Thus, it isn't as if Paul is is suffering in such a way to do penance for himself or someone else, to pay an extra premium, if you will, that wasn't covered by Christ, that has to be covered by us or by him or by some other great one among us. There isn't any treasury of merit that's being stored up from which we can draw. We need none of that. We need no penance because Christ has done it all it is indeed in him finished once for all so then what's paul getting at you remember we've mentioned already paul's time of conversion when he met the lord jesus remember that story acts nine don't turn we'll just paraphrase it's well known paul's on his way to damascus right It's on the damascus road He's going to persecute Christians. When he's there, he's knocked off his horse, great bright light, hears this word coming from the Lord, coming from Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Saul, Saul, that was his name then, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, if I were Paul and thinking clearly, which I wouldn't have been either because I just got blind and knocked off my horse, sort of like in the airplane when they say, you know, if there's a... Decrease in oxygen. Take the mask and breathe, uh, breathe normally. Hello, uh, and <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be breathing normally at that point. So I don't know that I'd be thinking clearly any more so than Paul perhaps was at that moment. But I would have said, "Wait a minute! I'm not persecuting you. I can't even see you. I don't even know you. I'm on my way to Damascus to get these Christians." But you understand the identity between Jesus and his people, between Jesus and what he refers to, what is his body. There's this sense of union between the two. Thus, for Paul to be persecuting Christians was to be persecuting Jesus. For Paul to be causing Christians to suffer would be causing afflictions on the Lord Jesus even then. So that when Paul, now a believer in Christ, united to him, is experiencing sufferings, afflictions for Christ's sake, it isn't wrong or unusual for him to say these are the sufferings these are the afflictions of christ and we say to paul wait a minute you're the one suffering he says oh i know but i'm so united to christ he to me that my sufferings for his sake are his my afflictions are his and so he's saying as i suffer the lord jesus suffers And what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ isn't that which took place on the cross, but that which takes place as the message of the gospel goes. And thus as Paul takes the message and suffers because of that and the identity with Jesus, he's filling that up. There's a certain suffering. There's a certain persecution that happens as the gospel goes forth. One author uh, puts it like this. The world hated and afflicted Jesus without ceasing, but since he's not here, their arrows that is the worlds and of persecution, men especially for Jesus, strike his followers by virtue of our spiritual union and identity with him as well as our commitment to him. We endure the persecution and affliction that would otherwise that he would otherwise experience what the world believes is lacking in his suffering. we fill up, we bear the afflictions which are intended for him, as Jesus said, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. In other words, Paul was saying, what's happening to me is because of Jesus. The persecution upon me is upon him. And thus, I'm filling up what is lacking, what is still to come in the afflictions of Jesus. John Piper extends this. And quite frankly, I don't know if I can go here or not. But I have eight minutes. So hear what Piper says, just a little Paul's sufferings, he says, complete Christ's afflictions, not by adding anything to their worth, but by extending them to people they were meant to save. Yes. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they're deficient in in worth, as though they could not sufficiently cover the sins of all who believe. What is lacking is that the infinite value of Christ's afflictions is not known and trusted in the world. These afflictions, and what they mean, are still hidden to most people. God's intention is that the mystery is revealed to all the nations so... The afflictions of Christ are lacking in the sense that they're not seen and known and loved among the nations. They must be carried by ministers of the word and those ministers of the word complete what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ by extending them to others. In other words, he's saying this, that by way of the afflictions that we experience as we send the gospel, as we take the gospel, others see the sacrifice of Christ in and through our witness. And they say, oh, I see. There's one who so loved is willing to sacrifice you so love that you 're willing to suffer, but there 's one who suffered atoningly there 's one who suffered sacrificially there 's one who sacrificed suffered for me. Piper goes on, he says, but the most amazing thing about Colossians one hundred and twenty four is how Paul completes what is lacking in christ 's afflictions. He says that it is his own sufferings that complete christ 's afflictions. He says, "I rejoice in my sufferings for you." And I complete in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. This means then that Paul exhibits the sufferings of Christ by suffering himself for those he's trying to win. In his sufferings they see Christ's sufferings. Here is the astounding upshot. God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. God really means for the body of Christ the church to experience some of the suffering he experienced so that when we proclaim the cross as the way to life, people will see the marks of the cross in us and feel the love of the cross from us. Our calling is to make the afflictions of Christ real for people by the afflictions we experience in bringing them the message of salvation. Since Christ is no longer on the earth, he wants his body, the church, to reveal his suffering in its suffering. Since we're his body, our sufferings are his sufferings. Romanian pastor Joseph Tan put it like this. I'm an extension of Jesus Christ. When I was beaten in Romania, he suffered in my body. It was not my suffering. I only had the honor to share in his sufferings. When Joseph Tan was lecturing at the seminary I attended, uh, told that story. Told a story of having been arrested in the days when it was It was a criminal activity to be a pastor, as he was, at least, in Romania. And he was taken and beaten on a particular day. And as he was being beaten, uh, he realized it was Good Friday. And he said, being beaten on Good Friday and realizing that, joy sprung within me because I realized I had the honor of being beaten for the sake of Christ. On the day in which he was beaten for me. How do you think of that? Whoa. And you see, that's the rejoicing. That's this, should I say it, odd joy in the life of a Christian. When Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for the sake of the gospel, for my name's sake. He wasn't kidding. He's saying that's a blessing. There's a joy in that. A joy that can only be known in the midst of that. Because there's such an identity with Jesus in the midst of that, that one can only know in the midst of that. It's no surprise that when Paul was laying out his life in Philippians, in the book of Philippians, same prison from which he was writing this letter to the Colossian church, same imprisonment, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. Now, I want to know, I, I don't know exactly what the power of his resurrection means, but I want to know that. That sounds really positive and exciting and whoo, triumphant, doesn't it? Resurrection, new life, beating death. Yes, all for that. But then he says, I also want to know, want to experience the fellowship of his sufferings, saying, in a sense, that in the midst of taking the gospel to know the sufferings of Christ, meaning to know suffering for the sake of Christ, meaning that I'm so identified with Christ that when I suffer, it's his sufferings, I'm suffering. He's saying in the midst of that, there's a depth of knowing him that I don't want to miss. Now, having said all of that, I know that none of us knows what this means. None of us probably have experienced, I don't know everybody, hasn't experienced the depths of this. Some of us have experienced some of this in various capacities. Two things. One, I want us to be alert for the sufferings of Christ. So that when it happens, however mildly or severely, that is to say, whether it just be the shun of another person or the feeling of embarrassment because of something that you've said and now how a person has reacted to you and you wished it hadn't happened, don't go to be embarrassed but to say, oh, this is the suffering of Christ. What an honor it is to share in that suffering. So be prepared for that, to be thinking of that. And then secondly, to set your heart as I set my heart, to set your heart on such desire that Christ be known that you're willing to suffer anything that he be known and that knowing in the midst of that there will be a knowing of Christ that will bring great joy and to set your heart in such a way as to say that's what's really important to me that's what's really valuable to me that you and I can make up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Let's pray, Father. Pray for me, for us. This would be true. Lord Jesus, that we would know you in your fullness in every way. So help us, I pray. Forgive us for times of fear. Forgive me times of fear. Not wanting to say this or be that for fear. But Lord, I pray... Enable me to anticipate great joy of identifying so deeply with you. Not only in the power of your resurrection, but in the fellowship of your sufferings. Please, we pray that we would be that people. That we might please you and be prepared for the days which are to come. This I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, please stand for the benediction <clears throat> please let none of you say, as you greet me this morning, I enjoyed that all right? when one says yes, but you know what i 'm that was not. Easy. Hmm. Please receive this as God's benediction. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing for doing His will and working in us that which is well-pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, together, let us sing.